Hey everybody, this is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by In We Go, Denver's best subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can, including Avalanche games for only $39 per month. There's no additional costs or fees. You heard that right. You can get tickets to Avalanche home games with your In We Go subscription for only $39 a month. And it's not just Avs games. It's Rockies, Rapids, Nuggets, Buffs, Concerts, Beer Tastings, food fests, comedy shows, concerts, and anything else that you can imagine. If it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that InWeGo can get you in. Here's where it gets good. We partnered with InWeGo to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to InWeGo.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get 50% off your first month. That's right, all events in Denver for under 20 bucks during your first month. Try it and fall in love with it just like we all did at BSN Denver. Go to InWeGo.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50. Now, enjoy the show. This is the BSN Avalanche Podcast, powered by the BSN Denver Podcast Network. For the Colorado Avalanche, that's Matt Duchesne. Right now, news is breaking that he has been involved in a trade that has been completed, and it looks like they have pulled him off the ice here after just playing a couple of minutes to start this hockey game. The best Avalanche coverage in Denver. Fans at the puck again in the New York zone. Shot, score! Yes, who? Taking you beyond the ice and inside the locker room. Gerard didn't have a stick. The handoff in the slot broken up with a skate by Gerard. He broke up that play. Then he stopped it there. Oh, wow. What a play by Gerard. And now, here are your hosts, A.J. Hafley and Adrian Dater. Ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks. Welcome into the BSN Avalanche Podcast, coming to you on a Thursday night. I have a very special guest tonight. Uh, Avalanche fans who have been around a while, just like me and a lot of others who go back to day one in this town. But even before that, my guest tonight was in the city of Denver, working in professional hockey. Going back to the Denver Grizzlies, even, a team, the late, great Denver Grizzlies, Uh, my guest tonight is the longtime NHL hockey trainer. He's been doing a lot of other things, too, in his life, but Pat Carnes is my guest, the former Avalanche trainer. Along with the Avalanche, he was the trainer for the Denver Grizzlies, that very first year endeavor. Pat, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Pat, I got to ask you, what's your first, your number one story about the Denver Grizzlies that year, what it would be? I know this is a family podcast, so we can't go into probably what you want to say, but uh, your best memory. But, uh, <laughs> Pat, welcome uh, to the podcast. Would... What do you remember about the Denver Grizzlies? You were the trainer. What a wonderful year that was. Uh, when I say Denver Grizzlies, what comes to your mind? McNichols Arena sold yeah. out. It, it was sold out every night. Butch Goring, Bernie Mullen, Kevin Sheveldayoff. 
was our assistant coach, who's now the GM for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, uh, Mad Dog, Mac, uh, Gord oh, Tommy Sallow. It, it was an all-star team. It, it was um, it was a great, great time. But most importantly, it was the fans. They, they filled McNichols every single night. Yeah, <clears throat> they really did. Uh, tickets were reasonably priced. That helped, but it was just great hockey. Uh, that was the number one reason yeah. why that team sold. I mean, that was a that was a first year expansion team. New York Islanders' new, you know, IHL affiliate league doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Um, but it was it was just it was all like a miracle that happened. Uh, they win the Turner Cup championship. I think they won 57 regular season games out of 80. Uh, Butch Goring was the coach. Pretty much so many people from that team organization of you know went on to bigger things. And you're one of them. Uh, you went on to be the head trainer of the Colorado Avalanche that first year. You, you transitioned. Well, tell me. The quick, you know, the not quick. We can talk as long as we want. But tell me the uh, maybe condensed version of how you went from the Grizzlies to the Avalanche and how that process happened. Because that couldn't have been all that easy, really, knowing that I know about NHL life. How'd you go from uh, IHL to NHL so so easily like that? Well, it, it was being at the right place at the right time. Uh, I was. We just finished up that championship season. And the Nordiques came into town. Um, it was uh, I interviewed for the head position, and and I got it. It was um, it was I, I don't know. It's just the right place at the right time. But the, like you said, the transition from the IHL to the NHL. Oh boy! Yeah, not easy. <laughs> it, it was not easy at no. all. No. no. No, because the IHL was was the old man's league back then, basically, right? I mean, it was, you know, the AHL yeah. was, obviously, you know, considered a higher league. I think the IHL yeah. would have fell in as third best league, uh, but it was, you know, I, I bet when you look back on that year, probably one thing that helped you a little bit and everybody with that team was was the fact that it was a lockout year for at least half the year. And you guys probably got a little longer look from NHL people than you might have otherwise. Is that fair to say? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, very fair. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, not to, yeah, I mean, well-deserved. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that like you say, well, right place, right time. Uh, I uh, I just had a ride around with uh, Jeff Serka, the uh, defenseman. Uh, he's a Westminster policeman. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I sat in Jeff's car for about ten hours uh, recently. And did a story on him. Uh, it was uh, it was great talking about old times. <laughs> he's uh, it's it's funny how you know life goes on. He's he's been a cop for a long time now, and in, in, uh, in Westminster, I think he was in Sheridan before that. Um, he was just, just, just yeah. we, Do you remember uh, Andy Brickley? Oh, of course, Brick, absolutely. The Whippa. His nickname was the Whippa. I have no idea why he got a nickname, but I think it was a Boston <laughs> thing. It, it had to be, yeah. yeah, yeah. But he and he and Jeff uh, hung around quite a bit, and I saw Brick a couple of years ago when Boston came to town. Yeah, he talked about Brick a lot. Doing, 
doing color there. Yeah. Oh, he's been color guy for the Bruins for a long time now. He <clears throat> he did talk a lot about Brick. Uh, Brick was so injured that year. So that yeah. That's probably a good jumping off point here for uh, for my next question. I mean, uh, you know, Andy Brickley, I think that was his last year of pro hockey. I'm not positive on that, but it might have been. Uh, he was he was always in the trainer's room nursing a knee, I remember. Uh, You're exactly right. Yep, <laughs> he was. He was. <laughs> what, what was it like back, like, for those, you know, if I want to know what your life was like as a, uh, you know, a, a mid-90s trainer, I mean, uh, was it weird or intimidating for you to be around pro athletes and and do all what you did and just have to treat them all the time? What, like, what did you learn those first couple of years? Maybe even being around, like, Brick, who I remember as being kind of a, he was, I remember it was kind of surly to me, actually. He wasn't really a, didn't love talking to the press, I don't think, that year. I'm not positive, I'm not sure if that was because... And I asked Jeff Circa this. I said, was he surly because he didn't really want to be in the IHL and he thought, you know, I'm a loser of the, in the minors. And he said, no, it wasn't that at all. He, he just quiet. He had to get to know him. Um, but, yeah. but take me back it, to that, like, I, first. That was one of your first years ever being a real trainer, right? I mean, what was it like when you remember that first year training guys, what you take away as any memories at all, that first Grizzlies year, Brickley included or whatever? Well, let me go back to the year before, because I don't think you even know this. The year before I took the job with the Grizzlies, I was in the NBA as the assistant athletic trainer with oh. the Timberwolves. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I had Christian Leitner. Uh, Sid Lowe was our coach. Wow. Um, oh, G.R. Ryder from UNLV wow. was our point guard. Yeah. Uh, Doug West. Uh, Luke Longley was our center. Wow. Uh, yeah. What was it and like so, there Christian Leitner? Chris is a great guy. He, he seemed really, like it. He, he seemed he's like He's a it. phenomenal guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a family man now. He yeah. just, he had a bad rap as uh, as being blue blood, as it were. I mean, he grew up in right. Buffalo, went to a oh, prep school, Duke. then he went to Duke. Uh, but he's he is uh, he's about as misunderstood <laughs> as, as Andy Brickley. But he's a really good man. But that's where that's where I cut my teeth. I cut my teeth the year before working with those guys. And so when you come from the NBA and then you go into minor league hockey, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty easy. I mean, the year before I was at uh, Chicago stadium watching Michael Jordan play. Wow. You know, and then I, I come to the eye after that, we're playing the Chicago Wolves, which I believe is still in the, AHL in that rank, but uh, it. So I cut my teeth in the NBA, and then I came to the NHL, and it was like, excuse me, to the IHL, and then to the NHL, and it was like for me coming home because, as you're probably aware too, I grew up in northern Minnesota. Right. So those guys, Miracle on Ice, Herb Brooks. Let's flash forward, 2002, when I was the athletic trainer for the Olympic team. Herb Brooks was our head coach. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to ask you about so, that in a second, but go ahead. Yeah, but I mean, the hockey guys are my guys. They're they're like you, Adrian. You could sit around and talk with them with a cup of coffee, or a beer and buffalo wings, or pizza. They're they're common guys that um, that really they're they're just good people, really good people. 
They want you. Know, you want to have them as your friends. I know it. So true. So true. Uh, yeah. That's you know that's you know up through all my ups and downs in life and everything else. I've I've always had a quiet moment where I I always think God you know I'm really really proud to be part of just a hockey fraternity no matter you know how current I am or how hot I am or whatever I always feel like right. I've got friends in the hockey world that I can go back to you know no matter how tough things get or what's going on and that's just that's been such a great thing like I'm so proud to be part of that you know and it's, yeah yeah I'm sure you feel the same way uh, I, I really do and, and uh you know, I, I see you as as one of the um, one of the stalwarts. I big, mean, big goofy redhead. You and, <laughs> big goofy redhead. Yeah, I'd like to meet your barber. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's it's uh, never been a pretty situation. My hair. Uh. <laughs> no, but uh, no, you're you're one of the good ones, and hockey's a great sport. Yeah, period. They're they're just good guys, classy guys that love to golf, love to fish. <laughs> yeah, they love to golf, love to hunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many, so many. <clears throat> yeah, we're gonna talk some old ads stories and probably involve some golf. But don't, catch me up on what you're doing right now, Pat. Uh, I know you're involved in. Uh, I know you're in Florida right now, working for USA Tennis. Uh, tell me yeah. more about that and what what else you're doing. So I'm working for USA Tennis, uh, covering their pro circuit, and I'll do about four tournaments a year. This one is in Pensacola. I've worked in Lexington. I've worked in Napa Valley. Um, well, that's rough. Yeah, I worked in Orange County. It, it's fun. It's working with professional athletes again, one on one. You know, you start with a tournament of 64 guys, and it whittles itself down to. Uh, on the final day and then doubles and then i'm also uh back in denver we've i want to plug a, a study that we're doing on cbd cannabidiol actually from hemp derived from hemp not marijuana but hemp and the effects it has on the quality of life for retired professional athletes specifically nfl and nhl athletes so if there's any guys out there listening that want to participate in that study, I'll give you those links so you can post those later. Um, it's, uh, I honestly feel that uh, with the number of injuries that are out there, if, if you can reduce the inflammatory state of the brain and the way it gets rattled around in their, in their head and just calm things down, you're going to, it's a win-win situation. So, we're doing QEEGs, which is a fancy term for quantitative electroencephalogram. It's brain waves. Then we're using an instrument called WAVI that was developed by uh, some physicians out of Boulder. And it's been used on the CU football team for the last, I believe this is four years. Uh, and you can actually measure the brain waves on 24 points on the, the athlete's brain. So we give them a certain amount of CBD. They go for two weeks, they come back, they get a WAVI again, and they do all these other tests, these neuropsych tests, and it's a 12-week study. Yeah, what's what's the early results takeaway from that? Like, uh, are there official the, the results early, yet? The, the early results that we did to, to 
to get approval for the IRB was the fact that you actually had an increase of output or power to the frontal lobe nearly uh, 20% with the ingestion of CBD oils. Huh. Okay. This is hemp derived. I'm not right. talking THC. I'm not talking THC at now, all. Now, what if it is from one. THC, though? Is that just as good or is it different? I mean, you're going to get it's higher different, from Adrian. It's Yeah, it is different. But don't forget, too, that they have THCA, which is THC acid, and that is a non-psychoactive component of marijuana. Uh, last year in October, I flew over to Jerusalem and I met with Raphael Moshalom. No kidding. Uh, the professor. Pardon? No kidding. You flew to Jerusalem. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I flew over to Jerusalem. I met with him, and and he, back in the 70s, Adrian, uh, he found that uh, CBD and THC helped with diabetes. It helped with epilepsy. It helped also with Crohn's disease, all by reducing the inflammatory process. Mm-hmm. And so it, we live in the best state of America, you know, in Colorado. And I'm very proud to say that uh, the vendor stepped up and there's an IRB that approved it. And we're going to take a look at it. Now, I believe it. I mean, I, you know, personal aside here, uh, I've never smoked marijuana. I'm just not a smoker, uh, despite mm-hmm. the fact that I grew up on a part partially on a legitimate Vermont hippie commune in the early 70s right. where right. a certain member of my family had literally like um, I would say a you know aquarium size jar full of pot harvested pot uh-huh. uh, yeah but a couple of years ago people kept telling me and you you were one of them check out CBD oil check out Check out the healing effects of, of the cannabis plant in general. So what yeah. I did was I actually bought some edibles. Now, before everybody gets all excited out there, I don't take a lot of it. I'm not getting high every night. But I have found that taking these strawberry-flavored cookies, waffle cookies, with 10 milligrams of uh, THC in them, but also CBD, obviously, mm-hmm. has really made my aches and pains a lot less. I feel more relaxed. Um, I feel not high as a kite, but just uh, just better in a way. And I, I definitely have noticed the difference since I took those. So um, if people don't want to get high, and you're saying, you know, take the CBD oil instead. Is that what, is that what the gist of what you're doing is and what you're finding? Yeah. Yeah, that's what you have to do. And, and you're, I believe the state of Colorado, uh, the daily dose is 10 milligrams. Uh, so please, you know, do not go out there and eat a 50 milligram candy bar. Uh, yeah, I learned that the hard way one night. Yeah, it, I me took too. 30 milligrams <laughs> one night. Next thing you know, I was watching a Denzel Washington triple feature on like 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. and texting my friends what an amazing actor Denzel Washington was. So, so yeah, don't take too much of that stuff. And that's a true story. No. 
Oh, so yeah, please. It's all about dosing and everybody is different, Adrian. You and I <laughs> may be totally different. I mean, I might just need five milligrams and you might need 15, oh. but go to the dispensary, go to the recreational dispensary. If you want talk to the people behind the counter and they're very, very knowledgeable. The state of Colorado is by far head and shoulders about everybody else. Now, do you think this will become a, a mainstream treatment, though, for for athletes? I mean, is it still kind of an underground thing? Is that what you're sort of working toward? What you're doing is is trying to make it more mainstream and then just make it a, a more viable business slash treatment thing? Is that what you're... Totally. Yeah. What are the side effects? What's the side effect for using CBD or THC? Sleeping. I mean, that's it. You're not going to get constipated with like you would with the opiates. Well, You're I will say this. Gonna... It, it is true, though. If you take too much THC, you shouldn't go behind the, the wheel of a car or anything like that, right? Never. Never. Yeah, never, no, I, I think never. people forget about yeah. that. I, it's, I yeah. definitely know that I never would have wanted to be, be behind the wheel of a car after taking the – I took 30 milligrams of THC one night, and I was pretty mm -hmm. well immobilized. I mean, I couldn't move. I was sitting on the couch just right. watching that triple feature of Denzel, but I was like, whoa, you know, whoa. <laughs> this is pretty trippy. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, so you learn. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Take it for medicinal purposes, but under, you know, proper medical guidance, right? That's the, that's yes. the takeaway. Yeah. Proper medical guidance. And if you want to put your toe in the water, Go to one of the dispensaries, but please stay below 10 milligrams. Please do not go above that. Do not. And I feel that uh, when I was talking to uh, Professor Mashalom, uh, you've heard about Charlotte's Web and how much it's helped for epilepsy with children. Yeah, I have, uh, actually. You yeah. know, and Sanjay Gupta, you know, he's come out and, and said repeatedly that he apologized for making uh you know marijuana have such a bad name there are so many benefits for it so many when used properly you know n nobody has uh has become constipated or become overly neurotic i mean they sleep it off that's that's what happens yeah and it, it, it's just because it changes part of the brain's you know chemistry at that time right it's not the gist of why why this works it, it turns off some parts of the brain and turns on others and that's that has to do with pain receptors and that's as far as i'm going to go because i'm not a doctor and i don't know anything about it but isn't that kind of <laughs> what we're talking about okay. here yeah so professor moshalon discovered the endocannabinoid system okay that endo means self cannabinoid is is the, the part and you have cb1 and cb2 receptors in your body if you can just remember that cb1 is to the brain as cb2 is to the rest of the body then when they become deficient then you become if they're deficient in the brain you might become somewhat neurotic somewhat you know agitated easily agitated and uh, pissed off in the body, I mean, everything from the liver to the pancreas to the kidneys to the heart to the muscles, there's CB2 receptors everywhere. And by taking CBD into your body, just like a vitamin, you can raise those levels up to the point 
where it's healthy and normal and you feel calm, you feel relaxed, you feel level-headed. There's a lot of people out there that benefit from that. Yeah, no, I believe it. And I, I can think I'm one of them and, and I need to even explore more about the, the cannabinoid oils, the CBD oils. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried a, a topical ointment for a while for some ointment, you know, pain. I, I don't think I noticed much from that, but uh, the, you know, the more the edible CBD oils, stuff like that. I, I uh, need to try more. Um, people, people, you know, people who aren't just trying to, you know, I mean, you know, people, just everyday people that I've met along the way, um, all over the place talk about that, especially older people who've had more aches and pains. And that's when you need that stuff. Um, you know, people with injuries and you know, brain injuries or regular, you know, aches and pains, joint pain. Yeah. Um, it, it's really, you know, it seems to work. So hopefully this will all it become works. mainstream and it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll get bigger and bigger. I mean, I think there's still the stigma of, you know, pot, pothead. Yeah, marijuana is not um, still uh, fully there yet as a acceptable, no. uh, you know, in the mainstream people's eyes. But it's getting there. It's certainly getting there. It's Canada just legalized it, right? So, we're, yeah, the entire country. Yeah, yeah. the entire and country was, just legalized it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Canadians are already conference. mellow. It's going to be even better going up there. Yeah, there's a there's a video called Clarity on YouTube uh, that this woman out of Chicago did, and she was in a nursing home, and she provided. Uh, CBD and THC to these Alzheimer patients, and it'll bring a tear to your eye. It really, really will, how everybody benefited from it. There's nothing more important than family, and for more than 100 years now, customers have turned to Farmers New World Life Insurance Company and agents like Bryce Babcock to help protect the financial security of their loved ones. What makes us different, first off, is we're, we're completely customer service oriented, meaning that our goal is every day to be available. The other piece, too, is that I'm young. I'm 31 years old, and so I'm, I'm hungry, and I'm very motivated every single day to continue to make this agency grow, and, and that's just something that, you know, I, I think that I bring them a lot of other agents do. My initial thought was it's expensive and I just don't have money to invest in my long-term future. Everything I have I need right now. But once I started looking at the options, it's an absolute no-brainer. You can find a life insurance plan that works for you and you should. It's not just about death either. There's whole life insurance policies that actually have cash value that build over time and so on. So Bryce will break all of that down for you for free. The call is a no-brainer. You have to do it. Brandon's 100% right. Plus, Bryce is even giving out a deal specifically for BSN listeners. I'm going to go ahead and send out a $10 Starbucks gift card right right off the bat. And so you don't have to do business with us. You don't have to. There's no payment needed or anything like that. It's something that we're going to do for anyone that comes in from BSN. gives us an opportunity to earn their business. Call 303-996-6509 today. That's 303-996-6509. The Sportsbook Bar and Grill is owned by Denver natives who love Colorado sports. I'm a big sports guy. I love watching sports. I love people's reaction to sports when it's a high-stakes game. No matter what's going on in the world, it kind of unifies people, and everyone seems to be a friend, <laughs> you know, when you're at a sports bar. So, yeah, that's, that's the main reason I want to get involved with the sports bar. 
That was John Porter, part owner of Sportsbook. Him and his team pride themselves in creating a great environment for you to enjoy your favorite sports with TVs in every direction you look and so much more. Something that makes Sportsbook unique is not just a sports bar. We also have a killer menu um, with a bunch of, we got pizza burgers and melts and the combination of the food with the experience of a, of a Broncos game or an Avalanche game or a Rockies game and having all that stuff packed into one. I mean, no one wants to sit at home by themselves and watch a game. You want to be around friends or you want to make new friends. You want to be full while you do it. And you also would like to have a few drinks with it as well. So with all the beers we have on tap and the diversity of our menu, there's no better spot to watch sports. You feel like you're in your house with all of your friends with you. If you're in the area, be sure to stop by the Sportsbook Bar and Grill today. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, ongoing NHL issue here. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Avalanche, two, uh, let's see, three players uh, currently sidelined by concussion. One of them might come back tomorrow, Tyson Jost. But, you know, Connor Timmons, prized defensive prospect, has not played since March, has not done any organized hockey activity except for skating around some practices since March. Concussion. JT Confer, you know, very good young player. Uh, coming up on, well, I think a month now, uh, concussion. Um, as a, as a, as a longtime trainer, as somebody who's working day to day with athletes, uh, let me form a question here. What, what, mm-hmm. what do you think is the current status of concussion, uh, treatment and what is the future of concussion treatment as far as players today, players in the future, but also we'll follow up with a follow-up about players of the past and what they have to deal with. Is it too late for them? Let me start you off, though. What's the latest, you think, with concussion treatment? And is it any better than it ever was? I mean, because guys are getting still seemingly out for, you know, over years and years, they're, they're dealing with this stuff. What's the, what's your latest on that? Well, the latest is we're all trying to find the definitive test, you know, to measure brain activity. And it it is uh, it's a black box. I mean, not a black box with all the answers, but a black box without the answers. And there's a company here actually in Littleton that is uh, in front of everyone with a diagnostic test, and it's called the Sarah scan. Uh, I know a lot of athletes uh, fly in and, and get that done, and that is a fancy MRI, as it were, for the brain. Um, there's also uh, the agents. Um, all of the, the agents are very protective of their players, and any time that they show signs and symptoms of a concussion, they're, they're very quick to, to pull them out of any activity. Rightly so. Rightly so. They, they want to protect their, their athlete, and, and uh, the athlete sometimes wants to go back sooner than they, than they are ready for. But I feel, having said that, uh, they're, they're just they're being very, very cautious, rightly so. Um, but I, I honestly feel, too, that there, there's things that are happening that um, 
we can we can help these guys, and, and they are getting help. Um, it may not be as quick as you want, Adrian, or the, you know the fans out there, but I know that the medical staff there, my former assistant Matt, uh, yep, and, Matt Sokolowski, uh, Scott, yeah, and, and Scott Woodward. I mean, those guys are they are burning the candle at both ends, uh, trying to get these guys better, um, and uh, getting them back on the ice. I remember back in the day when I was there, what Pierre Lacroix, and, and what a great man he is. Um, when we had orthopedic injuries, Adrian, you know, we used to hide guys. We used to send guys away to jail, or in some cases, you can guess who they were. We sent them off to Hawaii for seven to 10 days to sit on a beach just to clear their head and get things put back into perspective and then come back. Uh, I, I don't know if they do that anymore, uh, but we used to, that's <laughs> what we used to do. <laughs> and it, just, it was so helpful just to get the guys out of the situation and, and, and just be around, you know, their, I don't want to, do I say loved ones? I don't know. Just to, you know, get things back together and then, and then come back. Uh, I know that we pressed really hard times at times when I was there to get guys back. And, but sometimes you, you just need to let them go and, and go get alternative treatments. And trust me, I, I know those guys are getting other treatments flying here and flying there to get that. But it's, it might be frustrating to the fan, but please know that, that Matt and Scott and the rest of that medical staff are doing everything in their power uh, to get these guys back. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, you're not, I know you're not with the team now, so you're speaking hypothetically, mm -hmm. but let's say, you know, a guy like Connor Timmons, he's 20, 21 years old or something, Team Canada, World Junior Hero, Avalanche second round pick, somehow suffered a concussion during a game with the Sault Ste. Marie last March um, skated a little bit but you know not good whatever he's not playing he's not skating what do you think they're doing right now to try and like what are you if you're a trainer right now what are you having Connor Timmons do is there anything specific he's supposed to do or is it just sit and wait I mean no you don't sit and wait at all I mean that's everybody thinks oh yeah you guys sit in a dark room and shut the lights yeah, off and turn the TV thinking. off and no, no, that's old school. That's really old school. No, it, what they're doing, I'm sure. And again, I have not been in a training room. I do not know right. uh, what they're doing with the protocol. I can just tell you that having attended the top, and I go every year, Big Sky Sports Medicine meeting uh, over Super Bowl Sunday for that whole week, and they bring the top concussion specialists up there. Uh, it's active rest. And so what you're doing is you're, you get the guy's heart rates elevated and, and it might be elliptical. It might be on the bike and you maintain that for 20 to 30 minutes and you just increase it by five minutes, by five minutes, by five minutes. And if they can tolerate that without symptoms, then you progress them to more anaerobic activity. Um, it, and so it's that progression, but I believe what's happening is that he progresses and then he has a setback and then, and then they just, they back up and they go, okay, let's start all over again. And you have to build that back up, build it back up. It's very, very, very delicate. 
God. Yeah, I mean, it's like a house of cards, you know, and if you pull one out... It Is there something you can see on the on the brain scans itself that says, aha, that's still not right? Or is it just like listening to the guy, what he says? Because I don't know exactly what a setback means or, or, or that. I mean, you're looking at numbers. Can you talk a little bit more about what the anaerobic number is supposed to mean after getting on the aerobic bike for, I mean, what, tell me a little more in layman's terms what that means. Well, if two different energy systems one's aerobic where you, you know you walk or you run and you, you go for a, a jog type of thing the other one's anaerobic where it's quick quick sudden starts and stops and uses the muscle you're looking at doing that and then you rest you know you're sitting on the bench and, and you you ask that question how do you feel hmm. uh i don't feel good boom okay Let's shut you down for a couple of days and uh, go back to just riding the bike. But that that's that's all they can really do because, like I said, even though we have Sarascan, even though we have Wavi, we're still looking for that test. You know, like if it's an ACL, like Yui Krupp back in the day when he tore his ACL, you do a Lockman and you see translation of that lower leg on the femur and he blew out his knee. You know, it's not like um, – these guys here, oh, you know, it's the left frontal lobe. Oh, that's that's damaged. So let's light it up, so to speak. You know, you you can't do that. It's that is not uh, that's not the perfected science yet. What do you think is? I mean, is there any way to ever prevent concussions better, or is it just never going to be that way? I mean, well, the human brain is a fragile thing. It's sitting in a body of fluid with a piece of boat around it and you're, you're skating around on skates at 25, 35 miles an hour being hit by other guys. Is there like, is there really no hope that concussions are ever going to be minimized or is it, you know, is it just going to be the fact that you treat them better, but you're never going to prevent them? Uh, I think you hit it on, you know, you just said it, you're going to, you're going to treat them better. They're always going to happen. Uh, but you're going to treat them better. But back in the day, I did, uh, I remember one of my first research projects was the reduction of ACL injuries with a strength and conditioning program. Uh, you're going to have the same type of thing. I think that's what you're asking for. And yeah, there are, um, there are tools that people can use to, to sharpen their brain up. They're also, they're talking about using certain vitamins and minerals. There's a company out there, I think, called Brain Armor that does a lot of fish oils um, to to build up the brain. Yeah, there's stuff that you can do. Yeah, and they're doing it. They're really, really – the guys are, are on top of that. The, the PA is, is behind it too. There's definitely more awareness. There's definitely, you know, I mean – you know, without, I mean, I think concussion protocols started in the early 90s in the NHL. I think they were the first league to actually do that. And you probably know that they better were. than I do. Yeah, yeah, but they were. How about, yeah. the, you know, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s? I mean, first of all, the NHL was not, to, to clear up a misconception, the NHL was not as rough of a game as it is, you know, today or the 90s or the 2000s. It really wasn't. It was a pretty... Like, 
not the contact sport that everybody thinks it is. And yet, um, the, tra- the treatments for brain injuries back then probably were, right? Take two aspirin and shake it off. You know? Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. you got his bell rung. Uh, not sure where I'm going with a question on that, but yeah, just, I mean, today's treatment compared to the old days, what about when you first started in the league, though? I mean, without getting too specific, I mean, did you didn't have the tools you have today. How did you treat concussions no. more in those days? I mean, what was your first first inclination as a trainer was to, you know, what to do? Well, it was all based on symptom. You treat the symptoms. That's all you can treat, Adrian. You, you didn't know. I mean, yeah, you asked short-term, long-term memory questions you had a protocol we had a protocol that we went through on the guys we would never say oh shake it off you know go back in when i was with them i mean i never did that with the guys never we always took them out excuse me and we ran them through a very extensive protocol very extensive assessment and uh, if they passed it they were able to go back in nowadays i believe if if they're concussed uh no, they're they're not allowed back in for I believe five to seven days. What do you think causes? I mean, it, if you had to name one thing that causes concussions, I mean, it's just it's just the, you know is there is there something I'm missing? Is it's just shaking the brain, right? Or is that it? Is it the impact of it, or is it something else? Is it being off balance at the wrong time? What do you think? I mean, if you had to name one thing, what causes concussions more than it? Because you see a lot of guys take huge hits and they don't, they, you know. They don't seem to have any concussions, but then you'll see a guy that just, you know, gets hit in the wrong place at the wrong time, just being off balance a little bit. Maybe a puck hits him on the wrong side of the head, you know, and then he's done. I mean, he's, you know, he can't skate for two years. Um, Right. What do you think causes these things so much? Well, I don't have the answer for that one, except for the fact that, uh, um, you you said it in the wrong place at the wrong time, but everybody is totally different. But you also said you alluded to it earlier, and that is that you have something soft that's surrounded by a hard case, and it sloshes back and forth. And we would call that counter coup. That's where the, the brain hits. It go. It, you get a hit from the left side. The brain slides to the right side and then reflexively bounces back to that side. It got hit on on the left side and that's where the big bruise is. And yeah. that's where the damage happens. Ugh. That's how it happens. That sounds awful. Yeah. But then they also, if I can get real technical, you've got the brain stem here that's above the neck and that's where your cerebellum is. And that's, that does all the movement, right? Well, there's there's people out there that feel it's called the RAS, the reticular activated system, that sometimes it can get tweaked. And if it gets tweaked, it can then get irritated to the point where the person will be concussed. And then you just have to you have to deal with that injury. Boy. Yeah. Gosh, so much so much stuff there. So much more uh research i know everybody's trying to figure it out as you are and uh but at least it seems like people are aware of it now and uh you know it's, it's they are totally aware it's, it's, yeah it's you know everybody's trying to find a cure that's the important thing uh uh okay well let's uh let's 
I know there's so many Avalanche fans out there who go back to those old days. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't try to talk some old times with you, Pat. Uh, I'll just give you a couple. I mean, <clears throat> I remember you as just a, you know, just a great guy to talk to. It was always outgoing and everybody loved. I mean, you know, all the players that I deal with still ex-players always say great things about you. Uh, um, it, it was it was a special time for all our lives. I mean, we we're all just yeah. thrown together in Denver, Colorado. And all of a sudden we get a, you know, first year of NHL hockey for you, me, a lot of other people, was a Stanley Cup winning team uh, with yeah. many Hall of Famers uh, on it. And everybody, we all know and love them, but you, you were, you know them better than most people, keeping within certain guidelines of course on a family podcast let me give you some names here and you tell me your first story thoughts that come off top of your head about dealing with these guys on off the ice anything you think of let me start with uh joe sackick uh you know you 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 treated him a long long time but you got to know him uh joe sackick uh what are your first memories of joe class class. He, he's nothing but class. He's, he's the Peyton Manning of hockey. He is, uh, he's just, uh, he's the epitome of a, a gentleman. Um, there's, he, he just, I, I, he's just, he, he's Joe. And I, I hate to say that, but I mean, he's just, uh, he's like Peyton Manning. I mean, <laughs> he, he's just the nicest guy. Yeah, I know, right? And he never, <laughs> Never, you can't Ever say anything about him. About a bad day. No. <laughs> it's no, like he never does anything wrong. He's never done no. anything. Nobody says a bad word about him. It's like, and I, I'm the same way. Like, there's literally nothing you yeah. can say bad about him. I don't know. It just it never changed. Uh, no, he's he's just he, he was a superstar he, though he, when he came to you guys. Was he? You know, I mean. Does yeah, I remember him on the first days. He would talk to me like I was just a, any other person. Uh, no, yeah. no airs about him. But was it different for you to like manage him and treat him and all that stuff? I mean, doesn't sound like it, but no, no, Adrian. I mean, he was um, he was a gentleman, and uh, I remember we were in Phoenix, and I wasn't feeling very good, and. Um, I always did treatments the night before a game, but I just wasn't feeling good. And my treatment started at nine o'clock. He knew that he came over to my room, knocked on the door. Uh, and he goes, uh, Carnsey, he says, we're going. And I said, what? He says, it's your turn. I'm taking you out to dinner. I said, come on, Joe. I really don't feel good. He would not take no for an answer. He, he grabbed me, <laughs> took me out. And we had a, an unbelievable steak, uh, you know, start with a Caesar salad and with the uh, lobster bisque and then a, um, a steak, baked potato. And <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, he was just classy. He, he, he just took care of everybody and everyone. I mean, he, I, I can't say anything bad about him at all. I mean, he's just a good, good man. Yep. Yeah, that's 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 yeah. right. Uh, okay, Peter Forsberg. Now, 
We all know what amazing talent, what a good person he was. But boy, he kept you busy all those years, right? Holy smokes. Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those things, right? He just, it wasn't because he was soft or anything, right? He just, he got hurt a lot. No. I mean. Yeah, but it's a, the, imagine the type of game that he played. I mean, that guy had 34-inch thighs. <laughs> Yeah, I know. They were huge. Earl Campbell type thighs. I know. People and don't realize that about just, Peter Forsberg. His legs, his thighs were enormous. Uh, they're as big as Bonnie Blair. I worked with <laughs> Bonnie Blair back in the late 80s. Is that right? You know, on the speed skater. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're as big as hers. But, boy, oh, boy, what a... Now, Peter's, you know, Peter's pain tolerance was amazingly high, though, too, right? You would say that. But... He, yeah, you know, there were certain things he just couldn't overcome, and that one of those was the later was the feet. But you know, he had groin stuff too. What, what, what do you, th you know, was it his? What do you think started it wrong for him? I mean, what do, what do you think caused the feet to go bad like it did? Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just thinking about it, right? Uh. How many pairs yeah. of skates did you guys try on him to get him to fit that foot right? Oh, my word. You just opened up Pandora's box. I there. know I did. Yeah. So I asked. We had – okay, so we – let me tell you something here, okay? We had we had one of the best orthopedic surgeons old school. His name is Jim McElhaney. Great, great guy. And uh, he wasn't the team physician, but he was, uh, Andy Parker was our team orthopedist. And, uh, but Mac, he, he saw uh, Peter one day in the office when uh, Andy couldn't see him. And, and he goes, you know, I don't get it. I really don't get it. You've got these professional hockey players and you've got professional figure skaters. Professional figure skaters get custom skates, but hockey players don't. I mean, yes, they get a rear foot and a forefoot. You know, there might be a D and an A or something like that. So we were in uh, Calgary and Graf Skates were there and uh, Rob McLean, the redhead, yep. fellow ginger, yep. uh, equipment manager. Former equipment yep. manager, Scotsman. Yep. Tough as, yep. Tougher than... Oh, my God. Tough as nails <laughs> opened up a gym recently in Phoenix. But anyway. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, uh, he and I went to Graf. And uh, I remember going in there, and they they were the only company that casted his uh, feet, and then they made custom skates for him. Um, but then he switched over to Easton, and we fought tooth and nail uh, with them, and and they did a really good job of of making a special skate for him as well. Yeah, but oh, it was. You were there in Sweden when. When he took the leave of absence, right? We were all over there. Um, yep. 9-11. Were you yep. surprised that he did what he did? Or were you not surprised that he took a long leave of absence? I mean, it came out of nowhere, seemingly. Um, I'm curious. I've always been curious about that week. You know, I don't want to hear anything that we shouldn't hear probably uh, off the record. But, uh, you know, uh, can you take me back to that week and what it was like to deal with deal with that? You know, superstar player all of a sudden says I can't play. I mean, I'm sure that well, was a huge I, week in your world. Forget about everything else sure. that was going on in that awful week. But 
Well, I remember exactly what happened. It, it was 4.30 in the afternoon. He came and knocked on my door, uh, and he said, Pat, turn on the TV. We're not going to go meet with uh, the dignitaries tonight. Uh, there's been a, a tragedy back in the States, and um, it's it's over. It, it, it's it's We're... We're not going to play games here. We're uh, we're going to take care of uh, ourselves. And and he just you know went to the next room and you know knocked on the next door. But it, I think Peter it, he, uh, uh, he no different than Joe uh, is a classy guy, and he just felt at that point in time he had to take care of himself. No, you know not respect. Not, regardless of of playing in the NHL, he was in a lot of pain. You're right; it was his ankles were killing him, and uh, he he needed to take that time off. Yeah, and then he comes back. Well, first of all, people forget this. He he came back. I think it was in January, but a follow up medical diagnosis showed that that again there was something wrong with with another foot can you take me back to what exactly happened there because that was a shocker too then he all of a sudden he comes all the way back oh by the way he's out again he, he comes back in april and oh by the way it leaves the entire nhl in playoff scoring without having played a single game all year that led yeah that was the legend of peter forsberg Remember when he got but, hurt? Again? You obviously know him better than I do. What happened on that exam when he came back? Well, again, I have to. I have to go back. I couldn't tell you who our head coach was at the time. I can only tell you that Pierre Lacroix. Okay, Bob Hartley. Uh, I didn't. I. I did what was best for Peter, and Peter did what was best for him. And Pierre Lacroix and Andy Parker. And Peter Forsberg uh, sat down and talked, and they just they felt that uh, it was in Peter's best interest to have surgery on that ankle and repair it and get everything perfect. And that's what they did. I mean, Pierre was he, he always uh, if it was said once, it was said a hundred times. We don't win championships in the fall. We don't win championships in the spring. Excuse me, in the winter. We win them in the spring and the summer. I and never heard that, actually. Thing. You hmm. never heard that? Well, I, I think he, I knew that was just kind of his attitude, but I'm not sure I ever heard of that saying just like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pierre was always, we play for one thing and one thing alone, and it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. We play for championships. That's, that's what it's all about. And and uh, that's what those teams were built for. They were built to win, not, you know, day in, day out. They were there to be, you know, to win in May and June. Yeah. Well, Peter, yeah. Peter just, you know, he played, he had a Hall of Fame career at all. But, boy, you know, it's a shame, right? He He just never could be fully healthy from beyond really, you know, 2000, really 2002 beyond. He never could really stay fully healthy. Um, 
and yet he was such a physical specimen. Just one of those things, maybe, right? It, it, it starts with the feet. If you don't have the right feet, you know, if the feet aren't working, it's tough to, tough to play. Uh, he told me the story when I was in Sweden there. They actually sawed off his ankle and reattached it. Do you, do you know that, too? That was in Philly, I think. But have you heard, you've yeah. heard that story? Yeah. I mean, they actually sawed off the I, ankle. I, I heard that story, too. The, the doctor told him that, uh, oh, you don't have the correct uh, foot strike or heel strike, rather. And and I was not with the team. Uh, uh, and had I been with the team, I, I would ask the doctor, oh, excuse me, he's uh, – He's won a gold medal. He's won a couple of Stanley Cups. He's won world championships. He's won world junior championships. And you're telling me that his feet aren't proper? Come on. No, Peter is, Peter is a um, – he's a specimen, uh, but it, it, it took its toll. And uh, it, it took its toll on his body, and, and it just – it wore on him. I mean, it's – and I don't think he could ever play without feeling really 100%. I, I just think that his game was so precise and so strong that anything less than that he could he could never really accept too well. Uh, he tried. He tried coming back as late as 2011. I mean, you know. Um, but, yeah, uh, just glad Peter's healthy and in good spirits today, uh, you know, living a normal normal life with, what, three kids now in Sweden. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, Patrick Waugh, to me, one of the most you know, uh, interesting, probably the most interesting athlete I've ever been around. Uh, just, just always fascinated by him. Uh, definitely didn't always have, get along with him well, and I don't think he loved me a lot at times, but I think he always, I think we, I think we respected each other. Anyway, he was... To me, the most fascinating guy I ever covered as far as uh, just how his mind ticked and all that stuff. Uh, you knew him very well. You were very close to Patrick. Uh, what What is Patrick? What is Patrick Waugh? What was it like to be around Patrick those years? The consummate professional. Uh, the consummate professional. And he demanded that from everybody. Uh there was a time, uh, Chicago playoffs, Greg Willanen coughed up that puck. To Sergei uh, Kravokrasov, yep. Yep, and uh, Wooly never played for us again. I mean, Pat, Patrick demanded, demanded. Uh, if it wasn't that, he was in the back of the plane, uh, talking to other guys about prospects in Europe for his junior team, the Ramparts. Now that I mean, wasn't until later was in his career, stuck. though, right? That wasn't until huh? later in his career that he was really right. talking Ramparts. But right. how he had a photographic memory, didn't he? Uh, otherwise, would he be in the back of the yeah, plane I... just talking about like, gosh, I remember you know talking to guys like, yeah, remember we played Calgary two months ago and Theo Fleury scored the first period. And I would be like, no, I don't remember the fact. He was like that, though, <laughs> yeah. right? He knew every last goddamn thing in the in the game. Um, he knew everything about the game. But the other thing that was fascinating is, you know, he played with uh, wooden sticks, right? And 
he would drive the equipment guys crazy. Mark Miller and Rob McLean, he would drive them crazy because he would go, he would take his sticks and he would go heavy, light, heavy, light, 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 heavy, get rid of it, get, keep it, get rid of it. The guys would then measure them and he was within a tenth of a gram. Mm, gosh. I mean, he was spot on. You know, you hear stories about Eddie Belfour and how he drove the equipment managers crazy because he had the front of his blade curved one way and the other, the back part of his skate blade the other way. Um, but Patrick, he was meticulous in that he, he, he wasn't hurt that much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I did treatments on him quite a bit, but I mean, they were all preventative. I mean, he was, he was solid. Yeah. You know, he, he, he he didn't really. He, great he didn't seem like he worked out a ton until later in his career. You know, he really. He always struck yeah. me as like, hey, dude, dude, you're not in that great of shape. You know, like he had this little concave chest. You know, uh, you know, like, dude, you're skinny or you don't looking. But he was just. He he had. He had. He was. He was in good shape. Number one and, and number two. He just had this will of iron, right? It just made he him. He had, yeah, you just, you hit it again. What was it like Adrian, that triple just, overtime yeah. night in Florida? I mean, everybody must have been just sucking wind. You must have been on the bench just trying to IV guys literally with fluids. And yet that guy no. never once got tired, it seemed like. He had 63 saves, a triple overtime yeah. shutout. Yeah. What was yeah, that moment like that this? night? That moment, let me tell you about it, okay? Yeah. Ue Krupp scored the game winner, right, yep. from the point. Yeah. Right before, I would not right before, I would say two shifts before that, I'm on the bench, third overtime. He turns around and he goes, Pat, can I please have a Pepsi or a Coke? Sure. Yeah. Can I please have a Pepsi or a Coke? We'd shake it you know, to get all the fizz out and he would drink it and he got energy from that, from the glucose and and he went out there and he, and he scored that. But he was Yui Krupp. You know, he tore his ACL, I think, around October game 20th. Oh, game huh? one. Oh, game, it was the first game. Okay. Game against one against Detroit. Detroit. He got slew-footed. Yeah. yeah, by Martin LaPointe. Martin LaPointe, that's right. So, but, you know, Yui had sled dogs, right? Did you know that? What? What did he say? Yui raced sled dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew that, of course. Yeah, so so did I in northern Minnesota. When I was a kid, I used to race sled dogs up, what? Really? way up in the Iron Range. Oh, yeah. that's crazy. So, Yui Krupp, when he was doing his rehab, I told him to go out in the deep, deep, deep snow and push, 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 all hip extension, all working his core, working his hamstrings, and then he came back around, around all-star break, and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you recruit um, the stubborn German. Uh, he, he he worked his tail off, yeah. you know, racing those sled dogs. And yeah. then he came back on the ice. But yeah. that game that game was uh, – I just remember him turning around to me on the bench in a very calm path. Can I please have a Pepsi? Can I have a Coke? Now, you're talking Patrick um, Waugh said that. No, no, no. Or Yui. Yui Krupp Okay, said that. Yui, Yui. Yui Krupp. Yui, yeah, Yui, Yui asked Krupp. for the Pepsi or Coke. Okay, I thought you'd been yeah, Patrick for a second. No, no, no. Patrick never did. But that that's wow. my memory of, of wow. that game. So he just he you know, asked for a Coke or a Pepsi, 
two shifts before, then he scored. You should have guys should have made an ad out of that. You would have been millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't but know the that. other thing Yeah, the other piece that people don't realize, do you remember a, a guy named Warren Reichel? You know what his nickname was? Yep, Bundy. And he runs what, the Windsor Spitfires now? Yeah, quite successfully. So I I have to look this up, but he went off to uh, that that game four. Uh, there was a kid in the lineup in Florida who knew him from before, and I it was a rookie, and and he just said, "Hi Warren, how you doing? This is great, isn't it? This is lots of fun." And Bundy looked at him square right in the eye, <laughs> and took his stick and slashed him. Jesus. <laughs> and, and just said, I don't really care. I'm here to win a championship. <sighs> Warren yeah, Reichel, man. Was, yeah. Warren Reichel was uh, so hockey guy, like such a – didn't win many fights. Always a willing no. combatant, though. <laughs> Never turned down a fight. Uh, no. Warren Reichel was, no. was a very key member of that game, though. Game four, he was, like, playing pretty regular shift. Uh, almost scored yeah. a goal, actually. He uh, he was also in every single photograph of the cup after that. He was always found a way to be right in the front of the the picture. Uh, that became a laughing inside joke, I think, as you know. Uh, like yeah. the first guy off the plane, I think, after I got to Denver was Warren Reichel. You know, it wasn't Joe, it wasn't Patrick holding the cup. <laughs> it was Warren Reichel. <laughs> it was Bundy. <laughs> yeah. Bundy. God, I just. I remember Chris Simon chasing him into the locker room at DU when they, before the season. Early in the season, he's like, get back here, you fat Bundy. <laughs> and they were literally going to fight. Chris Simon, uh, great, he's another great guy. Uh, so Patrick Wado, was Patrick, uh, just to finish on Patrick, like was he, just quirks about Patrick. Were, were you the one who told me that you had to give him copies of Murder, She Wrote? Uh, on the road uh, that he had to be watching that show at all times with like VHS and VH well, he didn't have to be watching it no but it, you know you do little things but for that, guys that was here that there. was what he did on the road right he had to, he loved Murder She Wrote um, he loved Angela Lansbury Murder right. She Wrote and his roommate on the road was Adam Foot right right yeah. Foot Foot was and his so, roommate and 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 right and what was Patrick. Was Patrick – now, I don't think he'd care – I think he's actually said this, but Patrick, was he really claustrophobic? Like, he had a real problem with that sometimes, right, on, on planes and stuff, being in small spaces, right? Not so much not so much in planes as he did in elevators. Oh, right. It's a, yeah. It was elevators. That's right. It was elevators. And you're probably referring to the story of when we're in Pittsburgh and uh, a, a guy jumps into the elevator and – uh, Pepe, Claude Lemieux, grabs him and throws him out of the elevator quicker than he came in. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I did know that. I was in Pittsburgh, yeah. I think, at the old Penn Hotel downtown. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, he just – that he was a quirky guy, right? He, But he was – what a brilliant man, yeah. uh, player. He was just – I've never seen a guy who just so confident all the time and just, uh, you know uh, – when you guys first got him, was it weird in the room a little bit? Like, 
people hated Patrick while in the Nordiques. That was the Nordiques, don't forget. How long did it take yeah. Patrick to fit in with the team? Well, how can I say this? Uh, who was his agent? Uh, it was, uh, uh, God, it was uh, Bob, Bob Sobe. Bob Sobe. Bob Sobe. Yeah. yeah. Adrian, who was his agent, though, before yeah. he came down? Pierre here? Lacroix. Pierre Lacroix. <laughs> yeah. So you win championships with defense. You win championships with goalies. And when he stepped into the room, it was the presence, you know, of Pierre Lacroix. I mean, it, it just uh, it solidified everything. It, it was not. It was. It was not. It was maybe awkward for a few days, but it was. You no, know, it was. It was a presence. It was a presence that was felt. All of a sudden, it just went. You know, click. You know. Oh, Agreed. wow. Yep. We've got it. We've I got. It's like Patrick from. Wow. Yeah. Is in yeah. our locker room. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Uh, all right. Well, we've yeah. gone over an hour, but uh, let's let's finish up with a few lightning round questions. Maybe. I mean, uh, we can talk a lot about guys, but the, uh, uh, so many great guys, though, right? I mean, we haven't even we've talked about the superstars, but uh, who else comes to your mind though as guys that you'll never forget on the Avs as far as your favorite guys to be around or whatever? Oh, you know who I I really miss a lot is Adam Deadmarsh. Oh yeah. Yeah. Super guy. I mean what a great guy. And in fact Absolutely. we were we were playing down here and uh between uh, that was back in the day when you played Tampa and Miami and you had a couple of days off in between and he would uh <laughs> he cut off the sleeves of uh of uh of Claude Lemieux uh, you know, very, very expensive custom-made <laughs> suit. Yeah. And then we come back. We come back after this road trip. And uh, Adam went hunting, and he went hunting for pronghorn, and he cut the legs off of the pronghorn, and he shoved them in Peppy's gloves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Adam was just – I mean, the – the things they did, I mean, it was so much fun. It was always, or they would, you know how you would cut, you would cut their stick and then you put the tape back around yeah. on it and they would lean on the stick and it would fall yeah. apart. Yeah. Or they would put tape on the bottom of their uh, blades and they would go step out in the ice and it'd be like Bambi. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, let's not forget, too, about the other All-American kid that I just loved, Chris Drury. Chris Drury, yep. Oh, what a great, great guy. Just a tremendous guy, right, and a tremendous clutch player. God, why did they ever trade him again? We won't get into that. But <laughs> Yeah, we won't get into that. Yeah, he went to Calgary for a bag well, of bucks and well, uh, Derek he Morris. Just, he was yeah. so intense, right? He was so intense, and yet... So so good, such a good guy. Never lashed out at anybody. Was he? Uh-uh. Tell me a little more about yeah. him behind the scenes. Well, he was All-American, right? Remember, yeah. he was, at a 13-year-old, he won the Little League World Series, and he was with uh, the guy that you and I both really like, uh, Donald Trump. Oh, <laughs> is that right? You know, he flew on his plane. Yeah. When? Just recently? 
No, when he was 13. Oh, right. Oh, I didn't know wait, he flew wait, on wait. Trump's plane. Yeah. So that must, yeah, have been that, Trump, that must have been Trump Airlines back then, and he flew on that plane yeah. somehow. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, but yeah. Chris is, uh, yeah, isn't he the general manager now for yeah, Hartford? No, he's with the Rangers. He's like assistant general manager of the New York Rangers. You never see him, though. He's just like the Wizard of Oz. He, he really became really press shy. I don't, I don't know. He, he was always willing to talk and actually liked, I think, talking to the press back as a player. But he's, he's gotten kind of quiet. I'm getting him some grief about that. Uh, but I, I never met a nicer guy, though, really. He was just, uh, you know, friend, really just a genuine guy. Uh, really did a lot for that organization. Uh, he really, really did. Yeah, such a clutch yeah. player. I mean, New Jersey series. Tell me one story about like Game Seven. What was that plane ride like? Game Six to Game Seven. You guys beat New Jersey in Jersey. You're coming back home. Was it as confident an atmosphere as everybody's well, the players say it was? Because I always thought, God, they're gonna they're gonna find a way to choke this. Ray Bork just always going to be cursed for the cup, but no, it happened. No, yeah, but yeah, you weren't there, but Ray Bork and Alex Tangay, that was it. It was Ray Bork telling Alex, "I'm going to score the first one. You're going to take us home. You're going to do the rest. I'm going to be the one that's going to be the cornerstone, and you're going to do the rest." And that's in fact what happened. I mean, I get I get more goosebumps talking about it right now. I, I remember we were in a locker room there in in, um, in New Jersey, <laughs> and it was like playing at South Suburban because I play in the Rocky Mountain Hockey League now, and it was like it's, it was like one of those South Suburban locker rooms. Yeah, no, it was a pit. It, oh, it was a pit. Yeah, uh, but I remember. Ray leaning over and just turning his head and just saying with so much confidence to Alex, I'll start it off and you take us home. Damn. And then that carried into game seven. It was, uh, it, it was magical. Yeah. I mean, game six. But it was all about, it was all about confidence. And, you know, when you had Joe and, and Patrick and Rob Blake and Patrick Patrick Ray. Patrick saved their butts in that first period. Uh, mm -hmm. Shots were twelve to two New Jersey in that first period, but Patrick gets them through, and then uh, Footer scored that wobbly goal, and uh, yep. it was it. Then remember Bork with the rising slab shot that like burned a hole through the net. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you one thing I remember from that game too. Because the media sat in the stands in those that series, uh, one of the last arenas to have the media in the stands. And I remember John Madden of the Devils, and I'm going to use a curse word here, but I remember him turning turning toward Ray Bork when it was scoreless in the first period, and he's like, he said, "You're never going to fucking win the cup, Bork. Never, never, you fucking old fart." Something like that. And I was like. God, that got that got my blood boiling. As a guy who's yeah. supposed to be impartial, uh, they took it to him and out blasted him the rest of the series. And uh, now, nah, sorry, John Madden, but uh, 
Ray Borsk got yeah. that shiny ring still from that series, <laughs> and you don't. So up your ass. Sorry, that's my <laughs> that's my little speech. I I, yeah. I always thought that was horribly disrespectful though to say to a guy like Ray Bork like that, you know. So so that's so that's that's my little sports speech. But uh, Ray Bork, yeah, mm-hmm. I, was, I could ask you a million questions about him, but uh, the consummate gentleman, consummate pro is pro. Uh, you had to deal with a couple injuries of his though toward the end of his career, though, right? Remember that knee injury? But he also had a couple other things. Uh, but but I'd never seen bigger thighs on a guy in my life than him. Uh, what was it no, like to just? You're right. <laughs> he had the yeah. biggest thighs, right? They were he freaky. had the biggest thighs. Yeah, freaky. but you know, you asked me earlier in this discussion. You know, were you ever? You never said intimidated, but were you? You know, how did you treat the the superstars? Ray was the one that I, I uh, uh, really, yeah, me too. He was the one. He was the one that I had so much respect for, and I had to tape his wrist before every period. Wow! And there, there was so many times where he would guard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ah, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I forgot. He was the you one know, guy I got in there nervous and around. His wrist. Yeah, but but not after yeah. a while. He was so friendly. Uh, no, okay. when he first was no, in the room, he, I'm like, "Oh my God, you're Ray Bork." Uh, yeah, yeah. If, but d- he, you know, yeah, Ray, when he was injured, uh, conference finals against Detroit. Yep. He um, he sprained his MCL, his medial collateral ligament, and he he got uh, you know valgus stress, you know, stress on the outside, and and sprained that ligament. And again, I, I can't say enough good things about uh, Pierre Lacroix, Andy Parker, myself, all the coaches. Uh, there were 20, I think there were 20 of us in a room in Detroit with Ray's, excuse me, <clears throat> with Ray's agent on the phone. No. And we talked about all the pros and cons of his injury and you know, if he could come back and what he could do. And, and, uh, after that meeting, Ray pulls me aside and he goes, Pat, I just want you to say, want you to know that what you did today, I've never, ever had anything like that before. And I'm not slamming the Boston Bruins. I'm not, I am just saying good things about Pierre Lacroix and Andy Parker and how they they really really wanted the best for the athlete. Well, that's and that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, uh, I know you guys no. always took good care of them and uh, never heard a bad word yeah. about anything uh, treatment. And you did hear stuff from other players on other teams saying, yeah. you know, I got horseshit treatment here. I mean, look at Chris Chelly. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't I don't know if you ever knew the Chicago doctor back in '96, but I mean. The Avalanche partially can thank the Chicago doctor probably for uh, for winning that 96 cup, shooting Chris Chelios' leg full of Novocaine, and he never could yeah. play. Um, he couldn't stand up. So you heard yeah. that all the time. You heard stuff from guys saying, God, I, you know, this, these doctors here, I'm afraid to go to them. Uh, I never once heard that from the Avs, and I'm not just trying to kiss your butt here. That's true. Um, no. Well, no, they were, Pat, they were well, good. Let me ask a couple lightning credits. Well, not to get gruesome, what's the worst injury you've ever seen? You ever saw? I'm always, you know, I'm curious about that. Marco Sturm. Oh, really? 
Yeah, remember when he slid, it was at the Pepsi Center and he was rushing to the uh, for the puck and he came into the boards and he externally rotated his ankle and he had an open fracture dislocation oh, of his ankle. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, you you might say something like, well, what about the time when Goose went down? Oh, I know. I was going to ask you. Lexi yeah. Gusarov, well, who had his eyes roll back in his head and swallowed his tongue, right? Yep, yep. And so that was the beginning, too. And then later in that game, Rene Corbet got hit, and his blood uh, filled up, his helmet, rather, filled up with blood and took it off on national television. But anyway, that was the beginning of Stadium Medical. For people who go to events and see Stadium Medical, that was the beginning because Alexei Gusarov, we were on national television, ABC, and I asked the paramedic to uh, cut his jersey. And as he was cutting his jersey, he pulled out a six-inch buck knife. <laughs> I said, no, you can't do that. So after that, Roger Ames, um, both myself and Jim Gillen, longtime athletic trainer for the Nuggets, pulled Roger Ames aside and said, we only want six paramedics uh, rotating in and out. That's it. That's it. No more of any, you know, no, nobody else. It has to be a small, tight group. And then Roger started that company. And now, my gosh, he's covering nearly 300, 320 events a year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, with, it started uh, from that. People. It started from that injury. Yeah. From that, that game. Yeah. That, uh, that game was, that was a, <laughs> I think that one game, like, that that amplified the rivalry even uh, like t toward Tampa. Of course, I kind of culminated in the March 26th game. Well, I went beyond that, but uh, I'm sure right. we can talk more about that night too. March 26th. Quick story about oh, you got it. You got you can't. I can't let you go without telling one quick story about March 26, 1997. I mean, you had to treat guys with some pretty serious injuries that night. Claude Lemieux, whatever. Claude was <laughs> never really seriously hurt though, was he? he was just he just took a bad punch. That's um, it, yeah. And that was it. But he played the rest of the game. Uh, yeah. Was it crazy? Did you, Here's one question I always ask. It seems like you guys, I've never seen a trainer, I've never really seen an assistant coach or anybody on the bench besides the coach really get their blood boiling or say something at an opposing team or do something, something crazy. Did, did, how did that happen? Because I think if I was a trainer, I'd be so – I'd be so partisan to the team I'm at. I'd be I'd be screaming at guys. Probably I probably would have fired my first month on the job if I was a trainer. How do you guys maintain your professionalism cool like that? It must have been hard at times, though, right? You knew these guys. You fought for them. It, it was hard, and I only got in trouble once, and it was at McNichols, and the official was a guy named Andy, Andy Van Helleman. <laughs> and uh, what happened? It, it, uh, Somebody cross-checked Adam Denmarsh in the corner, and Detter went down, and uh, it, it was bad. It, it, and they didn't, and Andy didn't call it, and I, I lost it. I lost it, and I, I called. I said something to him on the ice, and and he came over and he said, "Hey, young man, keep your beep yeah. mouth shut." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know how you yeah. didn't do it more. I would have done that all the time. That's why I never would have lasted. Um, eh, it's a, 
such a primal game, even more back then. Uh, well, yeah. so that was the worst injury. Uh, well, okay. Marco Sturm. Yeah, Marco yeah. Sturm. Um, gosh. San well, Jose Sharks. I think, yeah. yeah, I remember. Marco Sturm, by the way, who's, I think, coming back as a, uh, a GM, possibly, of, uh, who is it? Uh, or coach? Somebody. I can't. <laughs> I'm embarrassing myself here. I think Marco Sturm is coming back into the league somehow as an official capacity. Uh, but, uh, Geez, Pat, I wow. think we uh, I kept you an hour and a half here now. Uh, let's do this again, though. Let's have, like, a part two some night and uh, talk more. Uh, you I got just, it. You got it, fans, Adrian. Any fans love this stuff. And, uh, uh, Pat, let's wrap up one more time with where you're working now. And give me – I'm going to put your links uh, out there where people can find more about what you're doing and, the, and, the, and all the work and the studies. But uh, give me one yeah. – name, name a site, name a link here so people can hear it in their brains before I put it out there, too. Text-wise, uh, osteopathic integrative medicine, oimcare.com, oimcare.com. Yeah, that's uh, the practice. That's the group that I'm with right now. A bunch of docs that are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, really, really good group of people. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's do more of that next time. Let's. I also I didn't even get into Herb Brooks stories or anything, but God, I want to hear more about what it was like to actually be on a bench with Herb Brooks for God's sakes. I mean, what a, what a, what yeah. a, as a Minnesota boy. As a Minnesota <laughs> boy. Yeah. It, it was surreal. And then to have Rudy Giuliani come into the locker room oh, afterwards God. too. Oh man. Oof. We, we, yeah. we got to hold that for next time. I, I got to hear more about that though. Herb <laughs> Brooks, Rudy right. Giuliani in the hockey locker room. Herb, Herb Brooks. I still, I remember Herb Brooks. I got to say that Herb Brooks called me as a cub reporter in 1992 he was actually up for the DU hockey job or expressed an interest in it for a while. So here he is calling me as a cub reporter, like 1992, just off the boat. Uh -huh. And I, I still, to this day, will never forget that call. Like, I can't believe I'm talking to you right now. I just tried to not freak out. Uh, yeah. Remember he freaked out on uh, John Kelly and Peter McNabb? <laughs> That's another story, yes. too. We'll get that next time. Yeah. You got uh, it. Pat. All right. So much uh, fun talking to you. Uh, let's do it again. And uh, all the best, man. Uh, I hope to I'll see you soon. Uh, have fun in Florida with the tennis. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, all the best, man. Talk to you soon. You got it. Bye-bye. Okay, Pat.